0: Welcome to Fearless Mom. Today we are in part three of the series rinse and repeat, where we are talking all about discipline. We said in the very beginning that every mom we know is one of two things. Uh, It's likely that she's either frustrated because what she's doing is not working or she's afraid that she's been doing it all wrong. And what we wanna do is to help simplify and clarify so that we can empower moms to put things into practice to help raise up these kids in the way they should. What's the word? go the way they should go. But before we start today, I want to welcome in our online moms. If you are watching or listening, we're so glad that technology has connected us today. And we want to remind you that we're not here saying we did it perfectly, but we do believe passionately that there are choices we can make and actions we can take to raise up resilient, competent, independent children. And so, we want to assure you that you may be watching or listening by yourself, but you are not alone. There's a group of moms in Austin cheering you on. We are for you, we are with you, and we are so glad that you're with us today. Let's start by praying. God, we thank you so much for technology that connects us to so many moms. We thank you for this facility where we can gather together and Encourage one another. And we thank you for um, the technology that allows us to reach so far. We thank you for these children that you've placed in our homes and for the responsibility and the privilege and the calling of motherhood. Settle our hearts and minds. Open our eyes and ears so we can see and hear what you want us to learn today so that we can be the moms that we are created to be. In Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. I have said many times that my children, Emily and Joe, the ones that grew up in our house, are complete opposites. And when I say that, everyone's like, yes, yes, but I don't think you really understand because I don't know that I can really communicate how different they are. And they entered the world differently, really and truly. Emily was the only infant in the nursery the day she was born with her eyes wide open. We'd say she was just sizing everybody up. You know, she, she was trying to figure out who was gonna hop to it and, you know, help her do what she needed to do. And Joe, on the other hand, literally slept until he was six months old. I, I mean, like we had these little tiny windows. They entered the world complete opposite. Emily hit every milestone early, if not on time. And, you know, it, she spoke early and a lot and loud. Joe, on the other hand, did not say his first word until he was three, and everyone thinks I'm exaggerating if you meet him now. I'm just gonna tell you that kids develop at their own paces, and some of them make up for lost time. And Joe talks a lot now, but they, they are so different. And I love, guys, those of you who are young and have children right now, there was a time when a phone was only used for calling people. And so, we have very few videos and pictures of our children. So, when we discover a video, we are very excited. And it's not crystal clear like yours are now, and, and we don't have a whole lot of them, and we can't send them to people. But I'm going to show you this video that I found that I believe sums up my children so perfectly. I need a student, and my nurse pulled it out, and I got two dollars because... I wrote a note to the tooth fairy, and I even lost it at recess because I was showing it to my friend. The end. my touch There it is. There it is, that sums up my two children. Emily had a lot to say, and typically it was put to music with choreography and full costume, no matter what story she had to share. Joe, on the other hand, slow to speak and was a man of few words. And then when he did speak, he needed translating. And so, you could see that Emily had lost her tooth and she made up a song about it. And um, you know, fortunately, uh, the tooth fairy was very understanding. And then Joe, I'm not sure you can really understand what he said there, um, I will explain. I dot my tons of fences back. I got my consequence back. <laughs> so apparently he has lost probably his Buzz Lightyear or something like that. So Emily had big news about her tooth. So he wanted to share something also. And so I dot my tons offense fence back. I dot, my dot. That says so much about them. And so over the years, as we've been teaching parenting, we have given a name to kids like Emily, who um, have a lot of feelings and who are very determined and very passionate and feel all the things all the time. You know what I mean? And we call them what? S.W. S.W. SWB, strong-willed blessings, because we believe and sometimes we have to remind ourselves that that strong will is a blessing and that if you have an SWB, your responsibility is not to change that strength, but to channel that strength. We don't want them to lose that strength. We need to teach them to use that strength for good. And I would say that Emily is on, let's see, if this is a strong-willed blessing, Emily's even farther. She's like the strongest of the strong-willed blessings on that condition continuum. And then we have a name that we've given kids like Joseph over the years. We said, you know what, That they're they're determined, they feel, but it's just not as apparent or as loud, and so they typically are more easygoing. So Joe would be considered an easygoing compliant, an EGC. Now listen carefully, just as stubborn, just as determined, it's just not as obvious, and typically not as loud. And so if you have a child, odds are you fall kind of, yours kind of falls in between. Maybe Emily over here, the SWB, and to be sure, Emily's stories, these are stories that I tell now that she's 25. I didn't tell her when she was young wow, you're an SWB. I would just say, wow, God is going to use this determination somehow. And I can't wait to see how. (laughs) And then I would eat something and um, get back at it. But anyway, so the SWB, this is a continuum. And then over here you have Joe, who was literally the most compliant. He was quick to obey, slow to argue. And you would think, By looking and by watching him, whereas Emily had all the feelings, if you just observed him from afar, you would say, you know, he didn't really feel a lot. But the truth is, just as determined has all the feelings, you just have to pay more attention and you have to be more intentional about him. I think the best way to describe it is maybe with this story. So, Years ago, when Emily and Joe were young, we lived um, in a wonderful neighborhood in Lost Creek. And so um, we had some trouble in the plumbing in their bathroom downstairs. So the plumbers came and they were trying to check out what was the source of the problem. And so they began to tear away. They realized, like, oh, it's backed up and, um, you know, way out in the yard. They, start, they had to tear out the toilet, they had to tear out the bathtub. So as they began to tear out the um, cabinet behind their sink, they noticed that there was mold in the wall, that the mold was in the drywall, the mold was in um, the studs, it was in the insulation. And so they had to tear out everything in our bathroom No, it wasn't what I planned on doing. I thought we were just gonna fix this little problem over here, but apparently there was a lot more that needed to go on. As a matter of fact, when they found the black mold, they sent men dressed up as Ghostbusters into our house and they tested the entire house for mold. We had to move out for six months while they cleaned everything in our house, every mattress, every article of clothing, every Lego. The insurance company said they want to replace it. I go, oh. Oh, heavens no. Put them in the dishwasher. We are all fine. This is, you know, years of accumulating Legos. I do not want to go buy new Legos. But the point was, all of this had to be done because of a slow leak. And here's the deal. It wasn't the water that caused the problem. Water's good. It's valuable. We need water. It was the fact that it was trapped inside and that It was never allowed to breathe, it was never released. And you know, I started thinking about that. It is a lot like feelings. So feelings are like this water. They're good, they're necessary, we need them. Everyone has them. But if they're trapped and they're not allowed out, then it can cause real damage and it can actually become toxic, much like that that slow water drip became toxic in our house. If you think of the SWB, if we're going to follow this, this story and we say that feelings are like water, an SWB is more like a fire hose. You, it just all comes out at once, all the feelings, all the time, very loud. And our responsibility as moms and dads, as parents, is to teach them to, whoa, reel that in there, Missy. And, and so we pull it back a little bit. They're learning to temper their voice. Whereas in EGC over here, if we remember that the water is like the feelings, it's more like that slow drip. And it's in there but we have to teach them how to express it and how to get it out in the open so that it doesn't stay in and become toxic. Feelings, if kept down, can literally become toxic. I know that with Joe, over the years, when he would have a headache, when he would have a stomachache, when he would throw up, that this is how Joe manifests his feelings. When he went off to college, it was such a big deal, and we knew that he was gonna be feeling a lot of different things, and maybe homesick, maybe nervous. And so I called him, he was about two weeks in, and I said, Joe, how's it going? And he said, Mom, I have not thrown up one time. I said, way to go, buddy. That is excellent. We learned that. That's how Joe manifested feelings. I'm not saying if your child has chronic headaches that it's because of feelings that they've not expressed. I'm just saying that if your child has chronic headaches, chronic stomach aches, or unexplained vomiting, then just ask the question. Just Find out because it can be again, it can become toxic. It needs to come out those feelings. Our responsibilities as parents is to embrace that role as authority and then to discipline our children. Proverbs 22 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Our responsibility is to prepare our children to be resilient competent, independent. Let's look at the word discipline. That's what we said our job is. We're talking about discipline, not just handing out punishments, but actually teaching and training children to become resilient, competent, independent adults. Train up a child in the way he should. And as I said, your child probably falls on the continuum somewhere here. The truth of the matter is My children are always growing and changing, and so I don't say Emily's always an SWB. I do use that to reassure myself that I'm not alone. It's really just a teaching thing. And so I go, you know what, Emily's an SWB. My job is to... To help her channel that. I want to teach her to temper her voice. Whereas Joe over here, I would say it's an EGC. It's not like I'm going to tell him, Joe, you're so easygoing and so compliant. You're my easy one. Keep it up, buddy. That's not what I'm saying. He still has things that I have to teach him, but I remember that because I remember that his feelings, his thoughts are still in there. My responsibility is to help him trust his voice. Teaching some to temper their voice, teaching some to trust their voice. I wanna look again at the definition of discipline because that's what our series is really about, rinse and repeat. It's saying this is our job and we gotta stay at it. How did we define discipline? Teaching and training children to become, what's that word? Resilient, say it again. Resilient. Say it like you mean it. Resilient. Teaching and training children to become resilient, competent, independent adults. A healthy adult is not just competent and independent. We talk about that a lot. We say you need to allow your child to learn, allow your child to suffer the natural consequences of their decisions so that they will be competent, so that they will be independent and that they are one day ready to go. But most studies show I'm going to tell you that everything I have read studies show that even the competent and independent young adults lack resilience. You can be an excellent student, you can be an incredible athlete, you can have gotten, it, gotten into every college that you applied to and still not be resilient. So I think it's a disservice to leave this series without talking about how we empower and how we equip our kids to be resilient. Resilience is huge in fighting anxiety, depression, and addiction. We know everything says that this generation of young adults, they are less resilient than ever before, they are they cannot take the everyday hurts and hits, much less the most significant ones. Resilience comes from the word resilio, which simply means to bounce back. It is just they can bounce back. They, can, they experience something negative, and then they bounce back from it. Let's look at the definition for resilient. Able to calm thoughts and feelings after encountering a negative experience. Able to calm thoughts and feelings after encountering a negative experience. And able to adapt to stressful situations or circumstances. So an adult who is resilient, we always talk about, What's our goal in parenting? It's to train them up to be adults. So if I'm gonna prepare my child, I need to figure out what my goal is. What does a resilient adult look like? A resilient adult is able to calm thoughts and feelings after encountering a negative experience and able to adapt to stressful situations or circumstances. This goes for an SWB as well as an EGC. Both kids need to learn to process and express, and overcome emotions. And our responsibility is to say, how do I do it? And then how do I empower my children to do it? Because we know that it doesn't matter your personality, you're going to encounter hardships. You're going to encounter disappointment. You're going to encounter loss. My job is to say, you know what? That is actually a significant weakness in this generation, and I have a choice to go, oh, this is so overwhelming. I can't do it. Or to go, this is a trend and there are choices I can make and actions I can take to actually empower my kids to live in this generation and to have resilience despite the negative trend that's out there right now. So what we wanna do is we wanna look at what that looks like. Someone who is resilient shows these traits, ready? Number one, emotional awareness, emotional awareness. And I don't mean just the terminology, I mean self-awareness. They're aware when they're feeling things, and there's no shame attached to feelings. There's an emotional awareness. There's also perseverance. This is grit. We talk a lot about the significance of grit. Angela Duckworth wrote the book on it, and Carol Dweck talks about the growth mindset and how having grit actually can be the determining factor between future success and future failure. So emotional awareness, perseverance, We talked about this in our mindfulness series, an internal locus of control. An internal locus of control simply means I cannot control this situation, but I can control how I approach and respond to it. It's remembering I can't control everything, but there's actually a lot I can control. And so a person with resilience has an internal locus of control. A person of resilience, this was so interesting, I found it's a a sense of humor, a sense of humor is so valuable. Also perspective and self-discipline. Why do we teach discipline? We teach discipline so that it eventually becomes self-discipline. We need our kids to understand these things that we are teaching them. We, we gradually let go so that it becomes self-discipline. But here are probably two of my, um, the most interesting findings. That people who are resilient, they have social support, community, and spirituality. The research shows that spirituality, a belief in God, a belief that um, I'm not by myself and that God is helping me and the social support, this is why we talk about church so much, We believe that parenting is an incredible responsibility, but you're not supposed to do it by yourself. Partner with the local church to raise up a generation of leaders and not followers. We say that at Lake Hills all the time. We're a church of all generations committed to reaching the next generation. We teach leadership as early as preschool and elementary. Because we believe that it is our responsibility as the church to partner with you to prepare your child with resilience. So we work a lot on whatever these trends we are that we're looking for. We work on teaching these and helping parents teach these. So we're looking for resilience. We want to raise children with resilient hearts and minds. With resilient hearts and minds. Look at Proverbs 4.23. Proverbs 4.23 says... Guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. It doesn't matter how hard you try, mom. You can't determine the circumstances of your child's life. And your responsibility is not to protect them. Your responsibility is to prepare them. And so I can't control the circumstances, but this is so encouraging because I can prepare their hearts I can do my best to set them up for their best by giving them the tools to develop a resilient heart and mind. Resilience is a matter of the heart and mind. It is the belief that disappointment, hurt, loss, and failure are temporary. Someone who's resilient understands that disappointment is temporary, that hurt is temporary, that loss is temporary. I'm sad right now, but I won't be sad forever. That is a belief system. That is something that we can train our children to believe. It's a belief that I always have a choice. I can't always control my circumstances, but I can always say always, I can always control how I approach and respond to them. We use the word choice with kids a lot. You chose that behavior, you chose that response. We want to empower them with the knowledge that they always have a choice so that they can be resilient. Romans eight twenty eight. you know, knowing that God's gonna use everything, that nothing is wasted. And then it's also the belief that I have the power to make things better. That I can change things sometimes. And even if I can't change everything, there's something I can do to make things better. Perhaps I just change how I look at the situation, and that makes things better. Perhaps we bring light to the situation. And it's not about saying to our children, you can do this. It's about saying, with God, you can do this. With God, you can do this. Remember that that article that I read that said spirituality, it actually is linked to resilience and that those kids are more resilient and those adults are more resilient. We empower our children by saying God can do all things and you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Because, guys, it's false to tell our children you can do anything. You can do anything. Because that's not the way the world works. We can't do anything without the creator of the universe. So be careful in what you're teaching your children because they will get to a point where they can't do it on their own. But they must know, oh, that's right. I can't do it on my own, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And the same God that parted the Red Sea is gonna help me at recess today. So it is about teaching them truth, but... That foundation of resilience is in God's strength, not in our strength. Some kids and some adults, this is intuitive to him, them. They were just wired that way. <clears throat> you know, Joe, When I remember when he was little and I said to him, you know, Joe, I can't remember. It's like bedtime one time. And I said, buddy, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he said, everything, everything. Joe was just born with a positive attitude. And when Joe was on the basketball team in high school, I remember, he always thought they could win. Always, down 20. Come on guys, we got them right where we want them. (laughs) You know, he always, that was just intuitive to him. That was natural to him. So it was my responsibility to feed that fire and to keep that going. Mac is naturally that way. He always believes that there is a, you know, he can, there's something he can do to make things better. He always looks at things that way. To be honest, I do not. I am a catastrophizer. If I see an uh, you know, an article on a child being kidnapped, I immediately think that same person's coming after mine. I, I mean, I have now, you know, created safeguards that I think is gonna protect my children. I'm crazy. Mac finally goes, You cannot watch those shows anymore. I'm like, I have to be on the alert at all times, you know. It I became so out of whack. My response to negative situations, if we go back to the It's kind of embarrassing. Again, thank you. Welcome to my therapy session. Um, So the definition of resilience, able to calm thoughts and feelings after encountering, encountering a negative experience. Yeah, I don't have that naturally. I encounter a negative experience and I am just so confident that things are only gonna get worse. You know, I'm like, my job is to prepare everybody for the doomsday that is about to come. And so my natural reflex is to not be resilient. My natural reflex is to prepare everyone for the terror that is about to occur or able to adapt to stressful situations and circumstances. My reflex to stress is panic panic and despair, my reflex to the tiniest change. And you guys, I would literally be described as someone who is laid back if you did not know me. I know my friends, I'm Ashley Horn, I'm not even gonna make eye contact with you. You're laughing your head off right now because she knows me well and knows I'm not laid back. I'm just gonna tell you that guaranteed compared to my sisters, as my mom would have described me as what? If you have an EGC, I'm just telling you, you may not see or hear what they're feeling and thinking, but oftentimes a lot is going on there, a lot that is not seen. My mom was amazing, and she did an incredible job of empowering us all, but my sisters were loud and said it all, and so there really wasn't a lot left for me to say, you know, and, and so I probably would have been described as, but my, as an EGC, but I've had to learn resilience. I, I've had to, and all of this study, um, again, you know, if I'm going to teach y'all, I have to learn it myself first, which means typically I read and I study and I call my children and apologize. And then I apologize to Mac for being, you know, just so, I don't know what it is about me. My reflex is panic. Any other moms, your reflex is panic? But here's the deal this is so encouraging. Everything I read, said that resilience can be learned. Even if it's not your natural bent, resilience can be learned. This is the truth. No matter your reflex, you can train your response. No matter your reflex, you can train your response. My responsibility is to empower my children with resilience. I know that, I know that their best life is set up if I empower them with resilience. Therefore, I have to reflect on my own resilience and I was immediately discouraged, but then I was reminded that God wastes nothing. And so I'm going to use my experience to help others. That's right, right? Because mistakes are only wasted if you keep them to yourselves. And so I am convinced that I can learn resilience even at age 50. Even at age 50. It takes work. It takes determination. But what I don't want is toxic mold in my life. I don't want someone to come in and have to peel away all the layers to find out what is going on. So I'm gonna address the slow drip in my heart and I'm going to empower my children, the fire hose and the slow drip to articulate theirs to uh, be resilient. Our EGCs require extra, I believe, attention and intention. No one had to tell me that I needed to address Emily's emotions, that I needed to empower her and equip her to express her emotions in a productive way. That was called survival. You know, they were all coming out. And so I was trying to help her express it in a productive way. But looking back, if I'm totally honest, not only did I not see Joe's feelings, I didn't know they were there. I would have said to you, Joseph, um, he feels every so often like maybe he likes his grilled cheese overtooked, you know, but that, that was about it. But the truth of the matter is that Joe has a lot of feelings. I just didn't see them. And so what I wanna help you do, and Joe's very healthy. He, he um, fortunately has a father who has a lot of feelings, um, you know, and so he has helped him. But here's the deal about boys too. If you have a boy who's an EGC, it is not the, the social construct. For girls, we always talk about their feelings and we need to empower them, but we don't really with boys. We, I don't know that we really address it as readily as we could. And I am of the firm belief that so much of the depression and anxiety that we see, and I'm talking about 30 and 40-year-old men, is because there was a slow drip, that they were never given the opportunity or the skills to release and to express in a productive way. I looked for statistics to find that, and I think we're still learning about the human heart and mind, but I just can't help but believe that Teaching resilience to both the SWB and the EGC and to everyone in between cannot set them up for stronger heart and mind, more resilient heart and mind, and therefore able to handle depression, anxiety, and addiction in a healthier way. Um, So I want to talk about, again, these are for everybody, but if you have an EGC or if you have a kid, (laughs) don't start panicking now. Okay, because some of you are going, oh my gosh, my EGC is 12 and I can tell that he's been feeling, no, 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 settle down, settle down. Okay, don't start putting feelings on your child. That's, that's the dance that we play. We pray for wisdom and discernment because I'm not going to assume my child has all these feelings. To be fair, a lot of times when I would say to Joe, hey, what are you thinking? And he would say, nothing. And I was like, wait, seriously? Like Nothing. A lot of times it was nothing. A lot of times it was nothing. My responsibility was create an environment where if he did have a feeling, he could tell me. It is not to put feelings there that aren't there. You're not scared. Are you sure you're not anxious? Are you sure you're not worried? Well, I wasn't until you just asked me, thank you so much. So it it requires, it's a dance, it's wisdom and discernment. But to develop resilience, your child needs these. And to be honest, you need these too. Space to be himself or herself space to be himself or herself. Do not expect your child to be just like you, just like your husband. You can't expect your second child to be just like your first child, your third child. Hey, if you've got a fourth kid, kudos to you. And you can't expect the fourth child to be just like another. We are all created wonderfully complex and unique. And so we have to go into parenting going, you know what? I had these expectations, but I'm gonna throw them out and I'm gonna work with the child that I have. And I'm gonna celebrate the uniqueness of the child that I have. There's no training manual. And so I was a classroom teacher. My degree is special education, behavior management. I had all these classes and I didn't know what to do. And I'm gonna tell you, I was pretty prepared. It's, it's this miracle called family, <laughs> And we go into it with the design that we are completely dependent on the one who created our children. And so allow your child space to be himself or herself and celebrate the child that you have. And do not expect this one child to act just like your other child. Celebrate the child that you have. Um, I'm gonna remind you not to use the terms um, oh, you're a strong-willed one, aren't you? You know, just like, oh my gosh, look at this determination. Let's use them positively. You have incredible perseverance. You have, we're, we're gonna speak positively. We're gonna speak life into our children. We're, and if you have a, we don't say, well, he's shy. Well, she's shy. We, you don't need to do that. You just give them space to be himself or herself. So that's pretty important. Space to be himself or herself. Number two, your child also needs practice for talking and expressing. Oh, you know what I I missed on the space to be himself or herself? Most of the questions that I get from parents say, is this normal? Is this normal? We don't know what normal is. <laughs> we don't. I, I mean, normal, what, the average, the, what are we shooting for average now? We're, you know, mediocre. You go for it, you know. Um, no, you, you celebrate the child that you have. If you are worried or concerned about your child, go to a counselor. They have um, vast knowledge. We recommend in Austin, the Timothy Center. I told y'all that. I went to a counselor when Emily was four um, because I didn't know if her behavior was normal and she had extreme, Extreme emotions. Remember the fire hose? All the time. And so I went and I said, you know, could it be her hormones? You've heard me say that. The doctor said, no, it could be yours. We moved on. Um, But what is normal? Get normal out of your mind. Talk to your pediatrician and your counselor and your educators to try to find out what is your child's best. You're not looking for normal. You're looking for your child's best. And then two, practice for talking and expression. Um, this, I don't, Emily, they do this a lot in school. They give kids opportunities to talk and Emily didn't need to practice talking. She needed to practice listening. And so one time she was in, um, it was when she was in kindergarten and they pulled her out for a reading program or something. And they, you know, Emily was so upset. Most kids love to be pulled out for different things. Emily was like, I missed the talking ball. The talking ball was where they tried to teach children to articulate and express what they were thinking. And whoever had the ball got to talk. I said, Emily, honey, I think you're okay. I, I think you're okay, but I will talk to Ms. Sales about when the talking ball is. Don't you love that, the talking ball? They work with this in our school systems to help kids articulate and develop their speech. Emily did not need help. <laughs> she needed help listening. Joe needed help. Joe, uh, we we tried. So I had to create opportunities for Joe to speak, for Joe to speak without Emily speaking for him. I know with Ashley Horn's kids, I talk about her kids, that are a little bit younger than mine. Um, Brayden, her older one, he speaks. A lot. Hadley, her youngest, she speaks a lot. So Logan let them speak for him. So when I would see Logan, I would say, Hey Logan, how was school today? Needless to say, one of the others would answer. And I would say, I want to hear about your day in just a minute. Let me hear what Logan has to say. And then wait. Is it awkward for you? It's really awkward if you have the child, you're sitting at a restaurant. And Joe says, mommy, can I please get to more touch up? And I say, absolutely, buddy, get the uh, server's attention. So he gets the server's attention. I tried to get him to order for himself. Can I please have to more up? Obviously, the server cannot understand him. Looks at me. I'm not gonna speak for him. I'm not. And so it was so hard. I was concerned that Joe was uncomfortable. The server was uncomfortable. Um, I was uncomfortable. I thought, no, my reflex is protect My responsibility is to prepare. And so I thought, he can do it. He can do it. And he's going to have to find his voice. For your child to trust his voice, he has to use his voice. And to find it and use it, you must create opportunities. Now, I'm not saying set him up for failure. I was right there. I wasn't going to let him get teased or harassed, even though if that did happen, and I know for a fact it happened sometime in Joe's life. And guess what? He learned resilience. It was uncomfortable, but it was uncomfortable right now, and it wasn't uncomfortable forever. And so it's difficult if you have, you know, you don't want to see your child sad, but I knew that that was part of developing resilience. And so we did get him help. He went to um, speech in school about once, and then he said, no, thanks, I'm good. And so, uh, and the truth was the speech um, pathologist said, Julie, think about it. Listen to how all of his friends talk. They, (laughs) it's developmental, he'll be fine. I consulted a specialist and then we moved on. But I gave him time to find his voice. I had to create opportunities to find his voice. I had to say sometimes, Emily, I wanna hear from Joe. I had to say sometimes when we were in public, when Joe, his natural bent was not to speak up. It was definitely Emily. She was telling everyone what to do. Whereas Joe, on the other hand, would sit. It would have been much easier for me to say for him, he's shy. But I'm like, he's a man. He's got to find his voice. She's a girl. She's got to find her voice. And so we'd come in. Somebody would speak. He would look at me, and I would just stand there. Is it awkward? Yeah, it's awkward. And guess what, though? If he didn't speak at that moment, I'm not going to stand there for an hour and a half. I'm going to use wisdom and discernment, and then I'm just going to walk on and say hi and move on. We don't have to make it a big production, but nor do we have to speak for them. So don't stay, give them practice for talking and expressing. Also, um, the next one is time to talk. Give them opportunities to talk and give them time. Guys, I taught reading in first grade. By the end of second, you cannot tell who read in kindergarten who read at the end of first? Who read, didn't read until second semester of second grade? You can't tell. Everyone learns at their own pace. You know what I could tell? I could tell because I read uh, for kid, with kids in third grade before the test. I could tell whose parents, got, whose parents read to them. I could tell. I could tell who got tutoring before kindergarten so that they would be up to speed with everybody else. I could tell. The kids didn't enjoy it. The kids didn't have fluency. They didn't have comprehension. They could sound it out. You know why? Kids' brains develop at different rates. We have to give time to our children developmentally. We have to be in close contact with your pediatrician, with your educators, and go, you know what? I celebrate the child I have. I celebrate the child, and I'm not worried about it. I'm not worried because let's say your child does have a, a diagnosis. You, they ask to be tested. You know They come to you and say, we'd like to test him. Great especially if you're in public school. It's free. I mean, go for it. Yes, do the testing. In my opinion, as a special educator, we would pay to have every child in the school system tested so that we would know how they learn best. Our reflex is to protect our child, but my responsibility is to prepare. Work with your educators. I can't say that enough. Give them time and don't panic. Um, be Take your kids to other environments like church and school and playgrounds. Give them opportunities to be around other children and don't speak about them in front of them if they are developing at a slower pace. If they are, if you know spelling is a struggle for them, it's a struggle for them now. You know what, it's okay. I, I have perspective now because my kids are young adults. I have perspective because when I was in the classroom, I could see both. And I wanted to tell parents, it's okay, it's okay. Celebrate the child you have and follow their lead and allow them to develop not just academically but also in speech and personality. Your responsibility is to create a culture of safety in your home so that they can discover who God created them to be. And we're not. our command is not to raise Mr. and Ms. Congeniality. Our command is to raise up the kids that we have. In the way they should go. So give them time to talk. And then number four, they have to have names for feelings. Names for feelings. We did a whole series on emotions and mindfulness and all of this. Empowering our children with emotional vocabulary is life-changing. It is life-changing to give them tools to help develop how to articulate, when to articulate, to whom to articulate their feelings. We showed feelings charts. There are so many things. The Big Life Journal, you can look on Pinterest and look at the emojis. When they're younger, you show them a picture of like nine emojis and they pick their feeling. You can add as they get older, their charts that have been 16 and 25. If you follow Raising Boys and Girls on Instagram, they also have tools. Get some tools to help you help your child develop an emotional vocabulary. This is what we want them to know. We want them to feel no fear or shame of any emotion. Any emotion is okay to feel. Any emotion, say any emotion. Any emotion, any emotion. Any emotion. Any emotion. every emotion is okay to feel. For some reason, we attach shame to some feelings. Are we, it's when we say, oh, don't be scared of that. Well, what if he's already scared? What we want him to see is, I catch that fear, see it, name it. I am afraid, but that fear is a feeling. My mom says I can do it, so I'm going to strap it in. It's not about saying, don't be afraid. It's about saying, oh, you're afraid? Well, what can we do with that? You know what? You can be brave and afraid at the very same time. Actually, to be brave, you have to first be afraid. And then we empower them. But when we say, don't feel that, I did it all the time to Emily. I would say, what? Do not let that bother you. It was already bothering her. And so what I should have done is to say, I can see that's bothering you. Now, catch it, see it, name it, strap it in. We've got to keep moving. So it's about giving names to the feelings and no shame for any feeling. And, and don't feed them feelings. Oh, I can tell you're having an anxiety attack. Yeah. Oh, you must be having a panic attack. Oh, you know what? You, let me call the doctor. I bet you're ha- Here, stop. Reel it in. Feed off them. Pray for wisdom and discernment. Let them tell you. Here is the best thing. And so I'm going to go to number five. They need examples of resilience. They need examples of resilience. So I would say something like this. I am so frustrated right now. I'm so frustrated right now. But you know what? I know I won't be frustrated forever. I'm using that vocabulary. I'm setting the example. If I'm feeling sad, I say, oh, I hate feeling sad. Feeling sad isn't fun, I know. But you know what? Feeling sad can help me grow. I feel sad now, and I won't be sad forever. So I'm, I'm not putting feelings on them. I'm simply using my feelings as an example for them. And so I'm not attributing feelings that they don't have. I'm simply using mine as um, an example. So I'm frustrated. I'm angry. I'm sad. Ooh, I'm a little afraid. I'm nervous. Um, whatever those words are, don't exaggerate. If you do have panic attacks and anxiety attacks, Use those for you and your husband to talk about. Let's use um, a little milder vocabulary for our children. And so, but use your own feelings as an example. And there's no shame in any feeling. I'm sad right now. I'm afraid right now. But you know what? I'm gonna do it afraid because I know God is with me. And then, and maybe you're saying the verse over and over. You're modeling for them. So examples of resilience are huge. Resilience is just as much caught as it is taught. Take someone strong to make someone strong. Here's some scripture that you can arm your children with. Joshua 1, 9. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. But you said, but you told me not to say do not be afraid. This is what God is saying. I see your fear. I see your discouragement, but I'm with you. So what, that's what we wanna communicate to our kids. I see your fear. I see your discouragement. I see your disappointment. I see that that loss is hard for you, but God is with you. God is with you. He will give you what you need. 2 Timothy 1, 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, of love, and self-discipline. Our source is God. Our source of power, love, and self-discipline is God. I'm not saying to you, you're strong enough. I'm saying you and God together are a killer team. You're strong enough with him. John 16, 33, I've told you this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Here's the deal. In this world, Jesus says, you will have sorrows. You will have trials. So we know our kids are gonna face that. We know we're gonna face that. And we know that resilience means to bounce back from. And so empowering our children with the information that yes, life is sometimes hard. People are sometimes mean. Life's not always fair, but God is always good. Take heart because Jesus has overcome the world. Life is painful sometimes. Life is unfair, Life is inconvenient. Life throws us curveballs, but we always get to choose how we respond. The power of choice, the power of temporary, the power of God's power within us. You know, um, I talked a little bit about Emily being the fire hose and Joe being the slow drip, or the SWB being the fire hose and the EGC being the slow drip, but I think with the slow drip, um, to move to another metaphor, We could call it the volcano. Anybody, if you have an EGC, you know that their feelings are there, and you see them when something random happens and the volcano blows. And it really, their their frustration, their anger, is not about what just happened. It's that they had all these feelings boiling for a while. I am the queen of the volcano. I am the queen of the volcano. And so empowering my children meant I had to learn how to do it myself. And I'm still learning. I'm 50 years old and I'm still learning to address the slow drip, to address it before it creates toxic mold in my family. But I know I can do it because I know that God doesn't call us to do something that he will not help us do. And if we're gonna teach resilience, we know that's the best for our kids, and we have to learn resilience. So we're gonna take the next couple minutes and we're going to look at our own resilience. How do you respond to change? How do you respond to frustration? How do you respond to disappointment, loss, or hurt? And guys, don't be afraid to say panic. That was my answer. <laughs> panic. I I, I I just fall apart. And I'm like, ah, that's not the best me. That's not the life that God has for me. So I had to really look at it with honesty and humility and community. I had to involve my family. Apologize, but tomorrow's a new day. Tomorrow's a new day, and I can build resilience. Here's the deal about, doesn't matter what your reflex is, you can train your response. If you work on your response long enough, it'll become your reflex. So I'm bound and determined that by 60 Uh, My reflex is going to be resilience. Maybe by 55, maybe I shouldn't shoot so far. You can do that, you can do that. The power of God within you, he will help you do that. So take a minute during our reflection, say, let me evaluate my own resilience. What's my own response? How do I adapt? How flexible am I? Blessed are the flexible, for they shall not be bent out of shape. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word that assures us that we're in this together with you. You created us, you called us to motherhood, you will give us what we need to do this job well. We are grateful that we serve the God who parted the Red Sea and raised Jesus from the dead. And we are grateful, God, that you can teach an old dog new tricks. Jesus, it's in your name we pray, amen.